Welcome to Cybility Savvy, the show that demystifies cybersecurity for not for profit boards and leaders. Hello, I'm your host, Michaela Leoborg, founder of Cybility Consulting. Today, we bring you a special episode in which I'm going to explain the log for shell vulnerability and what it means for you and your organisations. So what is Log4J? Log4J is an open source Java logging library that is maintained by the Apache Foundation. Now, what's that mean in English? Its purpose is to log, which is another term for record or write down if you like, an activity that's occurring in an application. So typically this would be who, perhaps a person's name or a device name, what action is being taken. So they might be viewing something, they might be editing something or deleting something. What is the actual object that's being affected? So it could be a record in a HR system, for example, in which case by this point we know who's accessing it, whether I'm editing it or not, which system it is, which record it is in the system, and then the next piece of key information is when, so the date and timestamp that that occurred. So when we talk about logging and security, those are the main aspects. Ironically, logging is one of the security controls that we rely on to investigate incidents, yet here it's the logging mechanism itself in which we have a vulnerability. This particular library is used by many software developers across the world, and it can be found buried deep within other applications that might not actually be obvious on first look. So this is the challenge. So what is the vulnerability? Well, it lies in the way that the application will look up information and this is via something called the Java Naming and Directory Interface, JNDI for short. But then the way that it translates that information that is sent back to it. For those of you who've seen Star Trek, uh, you'll be familiar with the Universal Translator, where the crew will have people around them speaking many different languages. Um, but because of the Universal Translator, it takes that input in and translates it into something that the crew member understands. So some very clever people have found that by entering a particular combination of characters into a system, they can actually trigger that system to go off and get information from an external source. So if I'm an attacker, I might want you to go and visit my server with my malicious software on it so that when your system then actually acts on this code what it will be doing is actually bringing my malicious code into your system and then running it there so we call this um, a rce remote code exploitation and it's one of the really nasty vulnerabilities that we can have. Um, but what's worse in this case is that the attacker doesn't even need to prove who they are as an authenticate. They don't need to provide any usernames or correct passwords, 
just entering this clever string will actually trigger this vulnerability. So where do we find this vulnerability? The answer, I'm afraid, is any application that uses a vulnerable version of the Log4j library. Specifically, it's the Log4j version 2 that's affected, not the version 1, although the version 1 also has security vulnerabilities so should no longer be used either. Now, it doesn't matter if this is on a server or on an end-user device like a PC, it can be vulnerable in so many different ways. So, for example, you might have a website that has a form for your visitors to fill in, a contact form perhaps, and by putting this string into one of those fields, that might be vulnerable. You might have a web application that you're entering data into. A lot of systems nowadays are software as a service and the interface you access through a web browser. So this is particularly common. And again, you could be entering an information, it could be this string, and if that application is using a vulnerable version of the Log4j library, then that again would execute that malicious code and the attacker would be in the system. Now, the other uh, one just to call out, because a lot of people are missing this, I'm afraid, is that it could also be an application that's installed on someone's PC. So this is Java related and quite often, especially some legacy apps, will actually use a lot of Java. So it's something that shouldn't be overlooked, that this library could still be in an application on someone's PC, not just web servers and web applications. I'll provide a link for you in the information about the most reliable list to check for affected software. And I'd um, really encourage you to share that uh, with your IT. If you have IT internally, or if it's a third party provider, check that they're aware of it. Now, this vulnerability um, sort of properly came to light uh, on Friday. And so a lot of people have been very, very busy working over the weekend uh, to try and limit the damage. Um, but already, uh, it's only Monday, we have several misconceptions that are coming up. And I just wanted to make sure you're aware of these so that you can challenge people who might be giving you information that they themselves might not realize isn't quite right. So the first one, the misconception is, it only affects Apache web servers. That's not true. It affects all systems across all platforms if they are using a vulnerable version of the Log4JV2 library. Misconception two, none of our internet facing servers are vulnerable. And you may hear IT refer to this as servers in the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. Uh, which is between the trusted network and, if you like, the wild west of the internet. Now, again, this is a misconception. Exploits are already showing that a string of characters can be entered into one system that is perhaps in uh, the DMZ, and then as it's passed in to another system that uses the vulnerable software, 
it's then that the it initiates that callback to the attacker so it can actually get in through that you know protected area of the dnz into the trusted network and so you also need to be concerned about applications that might be vulnerable on the internal network a lot of people are thinking oh no it's just the external stuff no it's not misconception three we're okay they won't target us well i'm afraid that because this is so easy to exploit even people with very little skill can do this it's been weaponized really quickly and so we're seeing attackers are basically taking a sort of spray approach and uh, anyone who's vulnerable is potentially a target so they're not actually looking at individual organizations it's just who can we get and then later on typically once they've installed what we call a backdoor on your system so they can wait for everything to die down and then come back later and do what they want to do uh, they've been then looking at you know which are the interesting targets out of the people that they've managed to compromise so why do we care well in security we have a rating scale uh, which is known as the cvss uh, common vulnerability scoring system and much like the richter step scale for earthquakes um, it takes into account different factors and it goes from 0 to 10, with 10 being the highest. Now, this vulnerability is a 10. Let me say that again. This vulnerability is a 10. And that's why everyone's so concerned, because it's so easy. It's widespread. It's easy to exploit with little skill. And most importantly, it could be triggered remotely over the internet without logging into the system. So I mentioned earlier, you know, it's not authenticated. And this is one of the key reasons why it's 10 and deserves our attention. Now, again, it's early days, but already we're seeing exploitation. Uh, the good news, if you can call it good news, is that threat intelligence reports are suggesting that the majority of attackers are using this vulnerability to install crypto mining software on your machines so that they can obviously make some money through that in terms of the crypto coin currencies. That's not great. You, you don't really want that in your systems, but at least it's not hindering your organization necessarily unless they're using absolutely all the performance of the machines you've got. I would say there are a couple of examples already where some have chosen to install ransomware, disabling organisations completely, and that's obviously something that we all want to avoid. And I think, as I've already mentioned, that most concerning is that some of them will be installing those backdoors on your systems to gain what we call persistence, you know, so they're still there, um, so that they can come back later when things have died down uh, to perhaps look at what else you might have uh, that they can sort of exploit and sell or other things. Okay, so what can we actually do about this? For those of you who have internal IT departments, 
um, I would refer you to the National Cybersecurity Centre alert that details the steps that they can take. For those of you who have external IT providers, um, I would challenge them and ask them what they're doing about it. I would also pay heed again to those misconceptions that I mentioned earlier because some of them may not understand fully and you can challenge that uh, with the information that I've given you. Some things you can ask are, are you aware of the Log4J ACA Log4Shell vulnerability? If not, why not? And if they do say they're not, I just suggest that you sort of direct them to the information for now and then note that that reason needs looking at later on as to why aren't they getting that threat intelligence to actually proactively do something about these vulnerabilities. Now, if they have become aware of the vulnerability, the question then is, what action have you taken to establish if any of our systems in use are affected? And remember, that's not just servers, but it could be client PCs as well. There's a really excellent list um, that, again, I'll put in the uh, show notes below that is keeping up to date with the affected pieces of software. There are a few lists out there, but this one's very reliable. Um, so I would go with that one. Also, not to be forgotten, asking, have we actually checked if we've got any in-house software development going on? Um, or perhaps we used to have in-house software development and we've got some legacy software that might potentially be using this library. So that's another thing that you can ask just to sort of get those minds going and trying to identify all your sort of attack surface, you know, which bits are affected with it. You can ask them what mitigation have they taken already or plan to take. And then also, have we engaged with our third parties to understand the supply chain risk? Because there could be this sort of onward impact to us and potentially onto our customers as well. Have we engaged our PR team if we've got one? Uh, and if we don't, has the sort of board, chair of the board of trustees perhaps got a statement prepped ready? Uh, should you be asked what you're doing about this and how you're affected? You want to be ahead of it rather than behind it. So the other side of this, and this is true regardless of this vulnerability, you want to be asking a question. Are we monitoring for suspicious behaviour and looking actively for any data that's leaving our systems? Uh, data exfiltration is the term we use. Um, and if they are, how are they doing that? Are they actually searching um, internally for what we're calling LDAP connections in this particular vulnerability? This is one of the protocols, one of the methods, if you like, the languages that is being used to then dial back out to the attacker. And so by looking for those connections, they can indicate which uh, systems and devices might be affected and then also block that connection as well. Um, in particular, um, they may not have seen these uh, activities before the 10th of December, but not necessarily because the vulnerability was sort of known about by some people before. Uh, so I think just focus on current activity at the moment, but you might 
to be able to find something once sort of go back in your logs if you've got them available and then also um, a lot of organizations forget to check their dns logs now this stands for domain name server and it's the translator if you like that turns a name like a web address uh, like www.sarvilityconsulting.co.uk into a string of numbers an ip address so that the internet knows how to direct it and those logs can provide really rich information but they can also be used to actually steal data out of your systems so do ensure that your organization is looking at those as well so the key messages um, for your IT, whether that's in-house or external, one, patch it if you can. Version 2.15.0 of the Log4j library has been released and it fixes the vulnerability. Note, it's not as simple as it sounds because it might actually require the recompilation of the software code and then subsequently the redistribution of the software packages from suppliers to their clients. So sometimes, you know, you think patching can be done quite quickly, but the gut feeling, I think, for most of us in the profession at the moment is that whilst we can take mitigating actions right now, this is going to be that marathon, not a sprint. And because of that, you will need to take action to mitigate it. There are some strings that can be changed. Um, I'll put those again in the show notes if you want to pass those on to your IT. And I've already mentioned about looking at logs and detecting those attempts to exploit your systems. Now it's always good practice to block outgoing traffic if it's not needed anyway. Uh, you should always limit to the minimum that's needed. So if the server needs to talk to this one, then that's all you should allow. And you should have your firewalls block everything else in relation to those. And then if you do have systems that will actually inspect your traffic, then they could also be checking for these protocols, these languages uh, that we've mentioned that the attackers are using. And finally, uh, there are lots of stories out there in the press, um, lots of technical blogs and everything as well. Um, so what I've done is I've collated the reputable sources that I would recommend that you use to learn more about this. Those again in the show notes below and we'll provide a, a bit of a sort of cheat sheet with all this information for you. If you do have any questions or concerns you can go to our website civilitysavvy.co.uk and complete the question form there and we will uh, do our best to answer those questions for you as soon as possible. So hope this has been useful for you. And uh, we'll be back with our part two of Laura's excellent interview uh, shortly. Thank you. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. If you found this useful, please subscribe and share on Twitter and LinkedIn. I would also appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and leave a review. You can contribute to future episodes by visiting our website to share your cybersecurity concerns and questions. The link is in the description. This show was written and produced by me, Michaela Leovorg, and co-produced and edited by Anna Garner. Music 
by CFO Garner. I hope you join us next time.